You're listening to the Psychedelic Invest Podcast, where we speak with founders, CEOs, investors, advisors, experts, and thought leaders in the brave new world of psychedelics and entheogenic medicines. Brought to you by Psychedelic Invest, bringing you unparalleled psychedelic investing data and analysis. Psychedelic Invest is the industry's leading resource for those looking to invest in the burgeoning psychedelic industry. For more information and to access all of the podcast episodes, check out our website at psychedelicinvest.com slash podcast. And now, here's the host of the Psychedelic Invest podcast, Bruce Eckfeld. Welcome, everyone. This is the Psychedelic Invest podcast. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. Our guest today is Jason Hine. He is associate professor at the University of British Columbia. He's also CEO of Telescope Innovations, and we're going to talk to him about the work they're doing in psychedelics and the approach they're taking, a fairly interesting and different approach. Fascinated by this, I think the whole world of psychedelics is both kind of this question of, you know, how do we really understand what these molecules do and how can help people in different therapeutic modes, but also how do we actually build a business or build an industry around this in terms of production and providing these things at real scale, as we really think about the possibilities here are quite extensive and can be quite big. And so figuring out how to create uh, really a production industry, supply chain distribution is going to be part of this industry growing and telescope is certainly involved in figuring some of those pieces out. So I'm excited for this conversation. With that, Jason, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Before we dive into everything that's going on today with Telescope and the work that you've been doing uh, at UBC, uh, give us a little background. What was your professional background? How did psychedelics come up? Give us the story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So my background is actually in uh, synthetic organic chemistry. We, we make things. Uh, I like to tell my parents that I'm, I'm a glorified chef, right? We figure out how to put molecules together and control synthesis really with a spin towards manufacturing. Okay? So it's not just, you know, how do we make the molecule once? It's about doing it day in, day out with control at scale, really in service of the pharmaceutical industry. So my, my background uh, started there. And one of the biggest things we identified in my research program is there's a massive need for doing this better, doing this cleaner, doing this faster. And that's where my background in, in sort of things like automation, AI, and these other tools were brought to bear around this. And, and we've had some massive successes there. The, the piece around psychedelics came up because we've seen this is a, one of those cases where Answering the question, as you mentioned, about supply chain is, is a big unanswered uh, challenge. If this is not just you know finding the right molecule, but how we use it, how we supply it, and how we do that uh, effectively, how do we do that for the entire panacea of sort of treatments we're going to be uh, entertaining, requires some major focus. And, and doing that, you know, this is potentially a, a scheduled molecule that's going to have to have certain kinds of restrictions around it. Doing that safely is a big unanswered challenge. And this is where our toolkit specifically for the kind of molecules we're looking at, is really well designed. The, the AI and automation platform allows us to basically navigate the pathway, the research pathway, to figuring out a manufacturing challenge faster than a lot of other sort of traditional uh, routes. So this became the rally cry. You know, we have this toolkit. We have this unanswered need that's, that's very helpful from the perspective of, you know, medical and human advance. Let's go for it, right? That this is a great uh, proof of concept for our, our chemical technology. And how, I guess, how does this relate to how pharmaceutical industry traditionally does this with, you know, early stage research and molecules and then scaling these things up to, yeah. you know, really supplying them at a, you know, industry level? Like, give us a little compare and contrast to what traditionally happens. 
For sure. Like if, if you imagine the, the sort of the story arc that goes into finding a molecule and then taking it out to something that's being distributed, you know, there's a lot of searching for what is the right molecule early. And, and the tools we use to do that and the questions we ask are completely different than the questions that are necessary for, okay, this is the right molecule. How do we manufacture it reliably every day of the week? And because of that, what you often see in the sort of pharmaceutical space is a lot of time going into what might be the right molecule. And then many, many you know, months, years later, in terms of, okay, that's our molecule, we begin to ask the questions of, okay, how do we actually manufacture and produce it? And what happens sometimes is there are molecules that show up on the dock of this could be a great drug, but it's simply feasibly not practical to manufacture, especially with the route that was, that was originally chosen. So it means, great, we did all this time and effort to find the compound. <laughs> yeah. Now we got to start again. And, and it's, it, it's this, this culture. And again, it, it makes sense, right? The problem is, imagine what you're doing is you're trying to figure out a place. Where do I need to go? There's two things you have to identify. What is your target? Like, do I want to go to Calgary? Do I want to go to Toronto, go to Edmonton? That gives you your, your goal. And that's what we do with early phase bioscreening is find our target. The next question is, well, how do I get there? I'm going to take the TransCanada. I'm going to go take the Yellowhead. Uh, has there been a road or like a landslide? How much gas do I have? All those questions are coupled. They're important for your target, but usually not as important as where do I go first? So you have these two competing research questions. You know, where am I going and how do I get there? And, and the problem right now is those are kind of different camps. So what we do is... Um, we use these tools that, that allow us to navigate, to understand what's happening inside a reaction, to really accelerate that how do I get there question. Once a target is identified, we're some of the best that can figure out how do I go from where I am to where I need to get to because we're understanding the system. The way I like to say it is the tools we've built is equivalent to having GPS. If you imagine that you know before, if I'm going to some location, this is my, my goal, you print out your map quest, you, you look at your street signs, and you're sort of, yeah. you're, you're on the fly figuring it out. Now, what we can do is know real time, where are we? What do we need to do? And how do we get there by bust out your smartphone and look at it, right? And that that's hugely enabling. Uh, you know, psychedelics, the space is, is where we're targeting first, but the platform we're building has implications across the, anything you need to build, right? And any type of thing in the pharma space gives us, gives us sort of striking distance. Yeah. So does this, I, I guess I'm, curious do you frame this as being a, a better way to figure out navigation or a better way to figure out destinations mainly navigation i'd say okay. like but the thing is that there's there's two parts uh, like absolutely today we are the the sort of navigation space that's what we have our strength and we can demonstrate you know value and capacity in that today but it also changes it this way and you know the other again back to sort of destination analysis if you understand how to get a place, a destination, it fundamentally changes what you think you can do. You know, if there's a, if there was a target that you think, oh, there's no way we'll get there. We're not even going to entertain it. Well, you know what? If we look at it, there's a possibility we will find a route which makes that molecule striking distance again. So it actually opens up, like one feeds the other. Having good routes to known molecules, that's today, but having the ability to light up routes that we didn't even think were possible opens up possibility in the target space again. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost kind of like we've discovered this really amazing highway. Let, let's see where, let's see what yeah. interesting destinations are along the way that we could actually make some value out of. And, and would never be possible without it, right? Having yeah. that ability to navigate it opens up your, your, you know, we didn't know that we could fly to the moon. Well, yeah. that's, that's a technology lift that gets us there, right? Yeah. 
And what are, I mean, I, you know, I'm happy to get uh, pretty detailed if we want, or pretty technical if we want. Like, what are these kind of navigation challenges? I mean, is this, is this about how to, you know, construct kind of components of these molecules? Is it the transformation processes? Is it keeping these things stable over time? Like, what, what do you actually have to kind of grapple kind of, with when you're looking at creating a, a process of production for these molecules at a really industry level? Yeah, there's really two, I think, big challenges. One is when you mix things together, when you do a chemical synthesis, again, the, the, the baking analogy is pretty close, right? What you do is you're, you're mixing together components and you're allowing them to react with each other. And we have you know many years of history knowing about predictions of how, when I mix things together, what I will get out the other side. That's the basis of chemical understanding manufacturing. The problem is, you know, it for we have a kind of a root to understanding of if I mix compound A, B, and C, this is what they should do or my intent. But let's say I'm hoping a reaction is A reacts with B, and then after some time, B reacts with C. It's a little assembly process. We're not that lucky. Sometimes A reacts with C, sometimes A reacts with A, sometimes yeah. a lot of other stuff happens. So the basic simple, you know, building block Lego example, putting molecules together doesn't hold because when you put things in a flask, everything reacts with everything, right? Yeah. Uh, so what we do, having this ability to visualize what is happening allows us to kind of gain back that simplistic idea of, you know what, if I control the temperature at this time or when I add what component, back to baking, if I put flour in first and then water and then my egg, the order you do that addition changes fundamentally what you get out and we have the ability to see what is happening as I do each one of those interaction events. That's number one. We can see inside a process far better than what is out there. And why that has in the manufacturing implication is once I know what that recipe is and more importantly the tool allows me to guide it, I can reliably go to a manufacturing site and say look if you see this, this blinking light shows up, your GPS tells you you made a left turn, go back and do something else, we can change and we can adapt. So un instead of, you know, throw it all together and hope you get a cake every single time, we have a temperature probe. We have all these other bits and pieces that look inside that baking process that says, you know what, you got to bump up your temperature, wait five more minutes, add a little bit more salt. And, and it's that, that dynamic capacity to how you do your manufacturing that means that we will land in the right place every single time, right? And that, that means that, again, for a confidence interval, some of the biggest decisions we make about do I make a gram or do I make 10 kilograms or 1,000 kilograms comes back to the question of do I understand this process well enough to take that risk? Yeah, if you're baking a cake, a, a hundred pound cake, that's very different than if you're baking a you know 12 ounce yeah. cake. <laughs> yeah, and if you if you know what you're doing and you know what's happening, you can adapt. Hotter oven, colder temperature, longer time. Yeah, yeah. So how? I mean, so, so how does the robotics and the AI play into this? I mean, I, I could kind of conceptually see how it plays yep. in, but how, how are you really leveraging these technologies to, to help drive this process? So the biggest thing is, uh, number one, control, right? So if we are sitting there and saying, look, I need to understand what happens when, the robotics means that I have the ability to have a system which is working 24-7 doing the kinds of experiments with precision that I know and understand. I'm not relying on a team of scientists that... If they have to look at this reaction or sample it every five minutes for three days, I'm not asking a student to do that, right? This is building a system that has that capacity to do accurate, repetitive things in the same way that you'd see in, in you know, factory automation, right? That's one. So it's reproducibility and basically just manpower on this. The second, though, is, is that decision-making component. We're not doing clockwork automation where 
you know, take flask, go over here, add five mils. If you imagine, you know, the, the sort of, uh, the Lucy baking kind of uh, videos, you can imagine that if an automated system gets out of sync, it turns from a beautiful sort of uh, orchestrated series of events to total chaos very quickly. Yeah. The AI component is the if this, then that, right? So it's it's the ability to look at a system and make decisions based on you know what we understand about what I need to do as best case interrogation next, right? It's no different than a self-driving car. You know, if you imagine your Tesla or whatever, you don't tell your Tesla how to get to your goal by saying, all right, I want you to point your, your wheels in this direction <laughs> yeah. and then thrust three, this way. Three, three then, degrees to the right, yeah. Right, like those the sequence of steps. If you tried to program a route based on a sequence of steps, you would kill everybody on the way, right? Yeah. What we're doing is we're saying, you need to go there, and I want you to obey the speed limit, I want you to not hit people, and I want you to stop at stop lines when it happens. You're giving them rules and conditions, and the AI's job is to say, well, these are my, this is what I can do, this is how I want to do it, my goal, my intent, and I will I will navigate that space. So that's the best analogy to it. Yeah. And I guess where are you in terms of, you know, actually developing this, bringing it to market, you know, work, working, you know, with companies that want these things manufactured? I mean, give me a sense of kind of the ultimate business model and where are you in executing? Sure, sure. So like our go-to-market was we looked at the synthesis of molecules uh, specifically in the tryptamine space, uh, targeting things like psilocybin and psilocybin-adjacent kind of molecules okay. as our chemical challenge. That was our landscape. And the goal we put down is we need a better, reliable, and potentially fully IP patentable space to those molecules because these are actually well-known. They're out in the literature for many years. So coming yeah. up with a novel manufacturing route that is better than as entertained, but also something that a company could wholly own is critical because there's no, there's, it's very difficult to create a value proposition if everybody can do what you can do. Yeah. So we wanted to create value there and to help open up the access to these compounds by shortening the synthesis, make it better, right? So that's our target. How we did it, we take our toolkit, the AI and automation, and what would normally be many, many years of careful plotting, you know, okay, is this synthesis good? Does it hit the target? Can we actually automate and manufacture like this? We took what would be a number of years of optimization and we contracted that to about a year and a half. So because of the toolkit and the enabling kit we have now, we have threaded that whole process. We've come up with our route and we've, uh, we're in the process of converting uh, that route to our full PCT application later this uh, later this month. And that's sort of our, our first proof of concept. The automation and tools allowed us to navigate the space and deliver on our promise of a better route to these tryptamines. So the next step now is some of the molecules in our in our wheelhouse. We can make more of them. We know we can manufacture them. We know they're sort of GMP synthesis ready, which is already a massive lift, right? Like with the, the team size we have and the time that we have, we've dramatically contracted what that, uh, that research time frame would have been. But also we've made along the way molecules which are utterly new, never been entertained. And those yep. are really valuable potential next generation compounds for all kinds of things in, in the 5-HCT kind of cas ca cascade. And that's where we're beginning to look into uh, the biologicals activity of these compounds now. Yeah. And, and is your ultimate model manufacturing, or are you going to be licensing technology for other people to then build out manufacturing capabilities? We're definitely focusing on the licensing uh, side of things. Like uh, manufacturing capacity is something we'd work in with partners. I don't think we will be sort of the yeah. main uh, synthesis house. But what we, the way I look at it is, 
If you today, and this is the call to, to the community, if you have a molecule that you need access to, that scale is the problem, that, that getting there is the problem, we are your partners of choice. We will help you figure out what that route is. We can help you enable and the, the tools that you need to sort of bolt onto your process, and we can, we can get you there better faster than, than it's out there now. And talk to me about the relationship you have with the research side with UBC. I mean, how has that played out or what, what has been the process for, you know, getting the research done, you know, setting up new entities, you know, moving IP and rights and stuff right. like give me some insights and how that really works for you. So they've, they've been massively supportive, right? Like the, the nice thing is uh, this, this proof of concept, the how we do things is kind of what generated out of my lab. And, and UBC uh, has, has actually just recently uh, signed over IP around this to, to actually fully owned inside, uh, inside telescope. So the route itself, while it was uh, sort of built as part of our partnership, is now fully assigned over to, uh, to UBC as of uh, about a month ago. Uh, and what this also entertains is really these are two sides of the same coin. The UBC side is asking the question of how does this research position itself in terms of a fundamental question. Telescope is focused at how do we apply this for the betterment of this entire field, right? Yeah. And that's very different. That's a very different need than what UBC is entertaining. And that's actually why they've been very supportive. They they understand that, you know, graduate students are great at understanding the question around what do we do. But how we actually reduce this to practice in, in a business uh, for, forming point is, is exactly what Telescope's vector is supposed to be for. And they've, they've been very supportive on this point and couldn't be happier. Yeah. And, and tell me about the team. And I mean, I'm always, as a, I'm a strategic coach, right? I help companies with the growth process, but the key part around any of that is getting the right people in place. How have you gone about the process of just conceptualizing, like how, what roles, what kind of skills and uh, capabilities you're going to need in the company? And then how has that played out in terms of finding the right people? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so honestly, uh, a lot of it started originally uh, as a, what kind of was a proven proto business model with my lab, right? The people that we were uh, growing and training there had the kind of diversity of interdisciplinary skills necessary to build the tool, apply the tool, do the chemistry. And, and those are not the same person. Those are sort of a cadre of people that... that <laughs> <laughs> a uni you find a unicorn that actually has all of those things in one. Absolutely <laughs> not. No, but, but see, the, the unicorn part of it, and actually this is where, honestly, the 15 years in the, in the academic space, the background here has been understanding the capacity where people have those strengths, but more importantly, building the Rosetta Stone of communication between these very disparate fields. So, you know, mechatronics and automation, chemical engineering, computer science are not usually, it sounds like a bad joke, right? Like a mechatronic engineer, a computer scientist, and a chemical engineer go into a bar. Um, they don't usually <laughs> talk to each other. It's not yeah. the same language, right? Yeah. But what, what we have done, my, my main uh, sort of, I guess, uh, win is sitting down with those groups and, and, and aligning, look, the problem you have solved here is the global challenge in this orthogonal field. And you guys just need to talk to each other at that interface. And that, that's been the win. So a lot of our team right now is actually populated based on people I've trained in those different areas. So mechatronics, computer science, and chemical engineering. We've also had a, a really good uh, win where, you know, here in Vancouver, we have a very strong base of trained in the sort of early life science uh, type parts. So we've been able to retain and, uh, and recruit some people uh, directly from, from that as well. So we're a team of about uh, 15 people mm -hmm. now, which, which covers each of these uh, different pieces. And, you know, again, it's that coupled to the toolkit we have, we have a, it acts like a force multiplier. We may only be 15 people. We do have our own sort of our own four walls lab space. We were able to launch out of, uh, out of campus. So we do have our own site and facility, but, but it's that very small bubble that lets us do something at a much larger scale than, than normally would be necessary for, for that kind of FTEs. Yeah. 
And if you look out two, three years, like where where do you envision the organization in terms of capacity, size? What, what would be some of the kind of key goals from going to market? Yeah, it's hard to say a physical number of FTEs. I think that's going to be driven primarily based on what kind of partnerships we flag in this next phase, right? Like, I'm not, uh, I would not consider us a, a service organization. Definitely, who, which targets we go after will will naturally guide the kind of boots on the ground we're going to need. I would say that middle of next year, we're actually expanding to a, a 3,000 square foot uh, space. So we're actually going to be growing up again. Uh, and we have a, a series of different partnerships that we're building out. Uh, first, again, continuing on this uh, the space entertained in the in this manufacturing and psilocybin space. But secondly, the toolkit we have, you know, this root automation is uh, a massive business vertical. Uh, so in, within that, uh, we've been talking with a couple of major instrument manufacturers to say, look, how else do we take this kit instead of being, you know, stuff that we have that we use internally? How do we actually push this out broadly to the pharma industry? How is this something that other people that want to do this kind of early phase research could potentially use? So it's really these two vectors. The, the how we do is going to be in the instrumentation and really growing that space. And secondly, uh, having that capacity internally means we can attack these difficult chemical problems. Uh, and it's going to be those two things we kind of continue on in the next couple of years. Yeah. And I mean, guess where do you see some of these, you know, molecules, uh, the compounds kind of developing? We've been talking about psilocybin. Are there other ones that are out there that you're investigating or you think could be on your roadmap for areas of investigation? Oh, for sure. Like, you know, there's so two things. One is uh, just recently there was a really strong uh, Vice article about uh, compass pathways and the current challenges that they have to their um, to their IP, right? The, the, yeah. There's been a, a massive sort of run at look, you guys are using a molecule that's been known in the space for many, many, many years. You can't own this, right? Yeah. And there's a great conversation around that. So where we see that we have a value here is, you know, it, it, indeed, you know, if, if you're targeting psilocybin and you're saying that that is your molecule go-to, that's kind of like saying, well, salt is salty. So I, I get priority to it. That's difficult. The thing is, like psilocybin is fantastic. We're seeing great uh, sort of abilities on it, but it's not the one and done. You know, the panacea of different neuro uh, treatments we need means we need a toolkit based on other molecules in this space. And it's fantastic that we're actually able to even go there now with the changes in, in sort of litigation and culture that we can begin to open this toolkit and say, what else is under this hood? And it's really the, to the, the route that we have envisioned allows us to access everything in that kind of space uh, to say, look, the next molecule, not psilocybin, but, but some other derivative is actually within our striking distance today. And then I think that's a major piece that will start to grow out is these other compounds with tuned activity to depression, pain, and the other kind of adjacents are going to be really exciting. Uh, so it's it's great to be at the forefront of that. Second thing too is um, molecules like uh, ketamine and these other components that have been just, you know, I, I have never seen uh, some of the bio data about where these uh, these therapies can can help us with as much promise. But again, it means carefully using it on the right spaces possibly entertaining different molecules similar to this to really fine-tune where it works and for who it works, right? This is, this is not, oh, I have a headache, you take an aspirin, right? This is, what is your problem? What is right for you? And how do we customize a therapeutic and a um, treatment regime to your needs? Yeah. I, I mean, a couple of questions. So one, you know, how much of the, you know, looking for new compounds is kind of economic driven versus therapy driven, meaning you know, like we're looking for new things that could address new issues or issues in different ways versus companies that are looking to, you know, find a kind of tweak on something that they can sort of protect or they could build a business around. Right. 
I think that's, I mean, I'm, I'm always curious about that because I think there's two competing forces here, right? There's the therapeutic, like finding new therapies, but then there's also the economic, like I want to create something I can bring to market and make money on. Oh, for sure, for sure. And I think that where we stand today is we're very much in, in the latter, right? Like we're, we're looking at known proven assays that says, if I take this, this is the potential clinical outcome, in which case it's, it's driven heavily on. I want to make my version of that that is tweaked or better in that therapeutic assay today. So it is sort of more ladder on the, we need something that, it, that becomes an economic driver. However, what's great about, and, and you see this across the space, as soon as we understand what we are chasing, uh, I mean, we as a, as a field, what you start to ask questions is, wait a minute, what about if we do this combined therapy with these other components, what new, novel indication can I now target? That's the secondary part where therapeutic driving comes, but those always have to come later because, okay, my, my, the stuff we do is actually rapid turnover, right? I can make a new molecule very quickly. Asking what happens about getting a molecule into a clinical space over many years, that doesn't get accelerated very quickly. That's still something that takes time into it. So in, in any of these spaces that start to, to lead off, we'll naturally start with a, a driver around refinement of known activity. And that's what I think we're in that very early threshold today. But then as the field starts to, to mature, what we begin to understand, because we're getting data the whole time of where yeah. else can we pivot this and how does that broadly go? But you can't lead with that because, you know, it's like saying, hey, I invented gasoline. Well, where's the engine? <laughs> One innovation has to lead the other. And I think yeah. we're, we're right at that horizon of beginning to see this sort of thing come over. And the catalyst, right, is, is the ability to, as I said, turn to a class of compounds that have been unknowable. Right. And that's that's the real excitement part of this personally. Yeah. From a really market development point of view, like what else needs to happen? I get that there's all this possibility. We're looking at, you know, having some really innovation ideas around how we can solve some of these, you know, hard to solve problems and, you know, in medicine and, and mental health. But, you know, we have regulatory issues. We've got infrastructure. We've got, you know, companies that actually provide therapeutic services. Like what is going to be, where do you see potential pinch points in actually developing the industry? Like we, we could have all these great molecules, but if we don't have the systems to actually provide them to folks, folks in a therapeutic environment, like that's going to limit the industry. Where where do you see these pinch points? So uh, three points, right? So number one is just the ability to conduct these early phase uh, clinical trials and good sharing of data of what's working between different space. I think though the bigger one is getting this out into a therapeutic context and, and having people that are willing to take that that kind of early early scope is, is, is sort of number two. The, the one that's sort of a linchpin to both, right? is this manufacturing point and the ability to access reliably the quantities that are necessary to kind of uh, to, to both feed what is the larger scale uh, scale of, of that therapeutic, but also, you know, talk back to the, uh, the small molecule development, which ones we do, which are uh, compounds that are possible. With every one of these, these kind of components, right, as regulations open up that says this is what we can take and this is what we can use, you need these three corners actually working closely together, right? If any one of those three pillars lags effectively, what you get is an off-balance point, and then there's a possibility that the, the acceleration in the space kind of slows down. So this is, you know, I think where I'm most interested in, in stepping into here is, is as that, that third kind of triangle in a partnership with the other two, right? So I think it's up to everybody that's working to the space to, to actually grow this working laterally, right? That each of us Again, understanding we are not all the one unicorn. We all have something to say here. And if this is going to be something that we want to, to work on, it requires us to to reach across and, and to, to represent those three pieces very, very effectively. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always curious. 
you know, as as a you know CEO running this kind of high growth company, obviously have a lot of moving pieces. You know, the, the CEOs that I work with, it's it's always a challenge to figure out kind of where to focus, how to spend your time, where to apply, you know, yourself versus delegating, having other people do things. Like what has been your personal focus and how has that kind of, I guess, shifted a little bit as you've moved from what sounds like more of a kind of a research kind of context to more of a commercial context? Like what have you had to kind of shift and change and and focus your, you know, kind of time and effort in? Yeah, I think, like you said, this is all about looking at what the, what the gas in the tank is and, and making sure that we're, we're making good decisions so that uh, that we get to whatever our target objective is. I think number one is we have to set a very strong value set, and that that has remained unchanged. Right? We are we are functionally deep chem tech towards growth in manufacturing, so never change that point. Don't change your DNA. Yeah. Uh, the thing that helps us guide which projects to take on honestly comes down to as as we say, we're starting to talk into this partnership space discussing with people about what their value set is. And, and you know, back to your previous conversation, why are you in this space has actually been the biggest guidance for us. When we sit down with a group and say, like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And where do you position yourself? We're trying to align ourselves very strongly, not with the, this is fast and easy, but look, we're trying to build something, right? This is not about a, a quick run a run to it. We're, we're understanding the their value sets in these other companies. That's what I've been using as a, as a major compass, right? It's been the basis for my research since I started at this point. And I can say right now, the, the decisions we make are primarily based on, look, if we're going to put our time and energy into this point, you know, sure, what's the short, short piece to it, but it's got to have a horizon that's pushing back our next project, right? And this is this is actually one of the advantages of coming from an academic background. We yeah. we only exist. The, the group has been a successful group that's grown from you know people to a thirty to forty five person group because of this kind of a philosophy. You you don't just think about you know what's your dinner today, but everything has to be an investment in who you're building and your capacity in order to be to be there next year. Right. For people that don't know inside the sort of academic granting space, it is a brutal, uh, it it is, you have to try to exist. You have to always make a a case for why you are doing what you're doing and you have to stay close to those values. People that turn too quickly, the community rejects them very quickly. You know, experts that have grown to what they are are only there because they're trying to be more than they are today. Right. It's good camper mentality. Yeah. I love it. Love it. Jason, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about Telescope, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah. So we have a, a website, telescopeinnovations.com. So that's a good place to serve as jumping off to again, connect with us and, and to get more information. By all means, you know, reach out to us at that point. That's a great place to, to sort of find out what's happening. And, and we've got, as a teaser, we have a ridiculous amount of good information coming out uh, very soon. As soon as we can get our, our press releases in place, I'm, I'm happy to share. Excellent. I look forward to seeing all that information and I'll put the links in the show notes so people can get that. Just it's been a pleasure today. Thank you so much for taking the time. No, thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Psychedelic Invest Podcast. If you liked this episode, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and leave us a review. You can find more episodes on all the major podcasting platforms and our website at psychedelicinvest.com slash podcast. Thank you.